When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. I have a show tonight that might just change your life. And if nothing else, it's going to change your perspective. It's going to change how you view the beauty and the limitations of every day of your life. Because no day is promised. And every day that we wake up is a blessing because there's somebody who didn't get to do it. And my guest knows probably better than almost anyone the heartbreak and the pain that comes along with not being able to see someone you love another day. See, these are the difficult moments of life. But here's what I know. I know that sometimes death can teach you something about life that life can't even teach you. And it is this. That you better love the people in your life while you have them. And you better live the life you have with all your might while you have it. For the night cometh. And when the night season comes, none of us can do our work. I'm excited tonight to welcome someone who not only lost her parents, but tragically lost her son. And that's what makes Deborah's story so much different than the other stories that we've covered dealing with grief and loss, because here is a mother who had to bury her son, a parent who had to lay to rest her child, and that pain must be unspeakable. And so we are honored tonight that she would take the time to come and to sit down and talk to me, to us, and to let us sit at her feet as we listen to not just a broken heart, but a great soul. Welcome to the show tonight, Deborah Barnes. Hey, Deborah. Hi, Dr. Sean. See, I made you smile. That was my <laughs> only point in life. <laughs> I was determined to make you smile. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm, good. I'm so honored to have you. I'm so totally humbled by your presence here tonight because your journey, your story is not just a, a tragic one, it's a sacred one. And whoo, I'm, I'm just looking forward to all that you bring. So do me a favor, take a deep breath, inhale, go ahead. Inhale, all right, come on, now let it out, breathe. There you go, let's do it one more time. Take a deep breath, come on, inhale, there you go. Exhale, breathe, all right. If at any moment in this conversation it gets a little tough, you just do that, okay? And breathing will bring you right back into the moment. It'll give you back your center and your balance. All right, so let's get started because I don't want to run out of time. Um, I know you lost your parents early on in life. And, and here's my question, because um, I'm imagining how I would be. Where, when you lost your parents, when they passed away, were you, were you more angry or depressed? I was probably angry, mm. but I was so young. So I was angry when I lost them. Yeah, yeah. Describe, you know, your reaction to, to just being a child who no longer has parents. Like, how did that anger grab you? or manifest itself? Um, I, I felt lost, mm. for one. I just felt that I wasn't, I, I didn't have the guidance and that that part made me angry. But I then too used that uh, as motivation as, and as a drive to 
make sure I finished school, make sure I didn't, you know, have any hiccups along the way uh, because I was only 14. So uh, I use that as a, as a driving force. I use, I turn channel that anger into motivation. Which by the way is so rare because most of the time people get lost in the anger. They get lost in the grieving process and they're not able to channel what they feel into something productive. Now, did you do that on your own or did someone sort of coach you into being able to handle it? Because you were 14 years old. In a lot of respects, you were a child. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, you know what, to be honest, we really didn't, it, we really didn't talk about grief that much. I really didn't mm. know what it was other than mm. the, the anger at the time. I didn't know mm. anger was a part of grief. You know, that's something we really didn't discuss mm. uh, was the grief. Um, I had my family that was there, you know, they, they hovered around me and took care of me and took, you know, took me in. Mm. So I would, I would say my family, you know, they were there for me. Did you ever feel out of place? Did you ever feel like you were um, an attachment? I know they were family, but they weren't your parents, right? You get what I'm saying? Yes. There were times uh, that I did. Um, mm. I didn't get a chance to experience some of the things that my other family members got to experience with my family. So I, I, I did feel alone at times mm. because they were older and they had their own families, but it was just me you know, and mm. some, some degree it was just me. So I did feel like I was unattached at some point. Yeah, when, when you say that, when you say it was just me, and I want you to hear me say it back to you, in that time of your life, it was just you. What, what comes up when you hear that, when you hear yourself say that? <sighs> there it is. That's it. That's freedom. Don't hold that. Uh, loneliness. Yeah. 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 That's what I hear when you say it back to me. Yeah. Loneliness. Just loneliness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because you said something just a little while ago that really stuck out to me. And that is, and black families, are, I love black people, I love black families. I'm black, very proud of it. But black families, we have a tendency not to talk about grief. We don't talk about grieving and we just sort of send people out to deal with it any way that they can. And it turns out that people are processing all these emotions and at least in your case, you found a positive way to filter it. But in a lot of cases, people don't find that kind of way. Um, what would you say to black families tonight? Because we, th there's more to your story, because this story gets even more intense. But I don't want to go there yet. But what would you say to black families watching right now with respect to talking about grief? I, I would, the advice that was given to me was don't get pregnant, stay in school. Mm. That was, I assume that was my grief talk. But my advice to Black families now, ooh, especially now, um, I think there's something that should be taught in the households. Talk about grief. Talk about how the absence of that person impacts everyone in your household, whether it's the siblings, uh, aunts, uncle, cousins, parents. Mm. It's going to affect everyone in that household so that's something that you should talk about talk about uh if mom dies and the child is 15 14 who who do you want that child to reside with who would be the best person to care for that child mm. those are the things that we need to talk about in black families when it comes to grief talk about how do you channel that anger what do you do when you're feeling lonely? What do you do when you're feeling sad? And know what depression looks like. Mm. Um, mm. Know the signs and yes. know what to do. You know, yes. we don't have the answer to everything. You know? Yes. We can go to God, but God does give us wisdom to seek wise counsel. And I, I, we need to know that in Black families. It's okay to get help. It's okay to ask for help. And we have to do it because it goes back to what you just said. 
don't get pregnant, stay in school, and God is able are not the only three conversations we need to be having with each other. All right? I mean, yes, don't get pregnant if, if, if you're a kid, stay in school, God is good, but we need to have more elaborate, sophisticated conversations with respect to loss and grieving. Let me ask you this. Um, assess your 14-year-old self, and let me ask you, do you think you handle it well? when you were in that moment, that season, looking back at yourself and knowing all the things that other people didn't know, do you think you handled it well? If I had to access my 14-year-old self, not as well as it could have been handled. Mm. What would you have done differently? I would have allowed myself to feel the emotions that I was feeling at the time and not hide them because those problems, those problems became adult problems. They didn't go away. They just mm. manifested when I become an, became an adult. So, um, I would have, I would have loved to, to speak or talk with someone to let me know, Hey, this is okay. You're going to feel this way. And, Things like that. I, I wish I would have talked to people and been more open and honest instead of, hey, we don't cry, we don't do this, you, you know, they're going, you move on smartly, you know. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, I wish I would have allowed myself to feel some of those emotions and, and didn't think I had to take on the world by myself. My, my. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Listen, you know, I always say that buried feelings don't die, they fester and then they take on a life of their own. But I got some good news for you tonight. You are doing, at whatever age you are now, you are doing now what you wished you had done when you were 14. Just by being here tonight, you're giving voice, you're giving assent, you're allowing your feelings and your emotions to flow. Like Already I can tell that I know you want to keep comportment because you're a black woman so dignity is important i get it but you already i see you letting you know the feelings come work through you so good the good news is you are doing now what you wish you had done when you were 14. but i want to ask you this because i want to honor your parents tell me about them what do you miss the most about them your parents oh gosh um with my mom, I can just remember her just always, always being there. The laugh, you know, the laughter. Uh, she's just the consoling. I mean, I definitely miss that. She she was always had it together, even though she might not have had. She didn't show it to me, so mm. I miss that. I miss the security. Mm. And my father, uh, I was his baby girl. So I, I miss that. Anything I want, anything, just I could ask him anything. He had a heart of gold. Um, so I, I miss that. Yeah. Listen, I got some more good news for you. You want to hear it? Of course. <laughs> the good news is you still his baby girl. Yeah. Now, what was that? What did you just feel? Comfort. Yeah. Reassurance. Yeah. Um, but it's true. You never stopped being his baby girl. And while you lost parents, you gained ancestors. And I'll say this. You ready for this? Because I didn't come to play. Okay. <laughs> you ready? ready? I would wager to think that every door that's opened up for you since the age of 14, every miracle that has manifested itself in your life, Every time you were laying on the floor and did not think you could get back up, I would wager, I would bet all the money in my pocket against all the money in your pocket that your mother and your father were advocating for you. I can believe that. Yeah, yeah. I can accept that. Yeah. It's a Thank beautiful you. thing because I don't see death as the end of life. I see death as a transition into another way of living. And here's what I know for sure, because I'm a parent and you are a parent. 
Um, and we both know that we love our kids and not even death can stop it. Am I right about that? Absolutely. Absolutely right. <laughs> See, I made her laugh twice. <laughs> twice I got laugh out of her. This is my work, beloved. All right. Because um, I'm glad I got you to laugh because we're going to change, you know, subjects and move to what might be the more difficult aspect of this conversation. Because tragically, you lo tragically rather, you lost your son to gun violence two years ago. Um, when I come back, I'm going to ask you this question. How did you hear about the news? And then how did you respond? Yeah. So we'll, do, we'll, we'll deal with that right after this break. Don't go anywhere, okay? It's already been riveting, and it's about to be more so right after this. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to my sister, Deborah Barnes, tonight. And you would think that after losing her parents at 14, them passing away, um, that life would be kind, that life would give her generosity. But as all the grown folks watching right now know that sometimes life ain't kind. Sometimes it denies us generosity. And Deborah, after losing her parents, now tragically loses her son to gun violence. Deborah, welcome back. And I promised to ask you this question um, because I'm, I'm fascinated um, often with the answer. So how did you hear the news about your son and how did you respond to the news in the moment? Um, I received a phone call because he was living in another state, Florida, at the time that I was in Texas. And I received a phone call. Mm. When I got the phone, it's when I got the phone call, it was like mother's intuition kicked mm. in. Um I just knew something was wrong, but not to that magnitude. And when I got the news, I was like, no, this can't, this can't be. Mm. I, no, this, it can't be. This is it's not right. And I went into a shop for a moment. Um, yeah, I just... I kept telling myself, no, no, no. But yeah, that's what happened. I received a phone call. My, mm. um, John, put the photo up again of Deborah and her son. Put that photo back up. And Deborah, when you see this photo and you look at him, tell me about him. Put keep the photo back up, John. Tell me about him. Um, Devante was the, he was full of life. He was a go-getter, a comedian. Um, you never would see him angry. He didn't, he wouldn't get angry about it, too much of anything. Mm. Uh, he was just full of life, a go-getter, driven. And when, and when you see him, what comes up for you? What feelings come up when you see your son's face again? And I want you to, no, I want you to look at, don't look at the camera. I know what they told you, but this is my show. I want you to look at his face and tell me what you, what you feel, what you sense when, to see him again. Uh, I, I miss him. I miss him dearly. I miss his laughter. I miss my good, every morning, my good morning texts. Mm. Uh, Every morning. Mm. Uh, that's my twin. He was my best friend. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, John. Yeah. John, thank you for doing that. Um, I, I can feel, you know, because I, 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 I almost get the sense that you are intentionally sort of keeping it under coil so that you don't allow yourself emotionally to go too far. Just tell me if I'm right. Because I, I feel like if you, if you let yourself go, you would go. Am I right? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand. I, I, I said that so that you know that I understand. Like, I, 
Deborah, let me say something to you. I see you. I see you. I see you. And I honor what I see. Thank you. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Because you've come through something. And again, I'm thinking about my own children, right? Everybody watching tonight, we're all thinking about our kids and we're thinking about being in your shoes. And my, my man Juan, we had a guest on who had been through the great tragedy, and Juan asked me, how is she even able to sit up straight? That's my question for you. After all that you've been through, like how are you able to put makeup on and make your colors match? And how are you doing this? Um, I think about him. Mm. Um, I, I think about, I, I hear him saying, mom, you got this. Mm. Um, you got this. You can do this. He was my hero, just like I was his hero. Uh, and the grace of God, I'll be, I'll be honest. Um, that doesn't surprise me because after meeting you, I cannot imagine something or someone coming from you or out of you not being rooted in goodness because you have such a good spirit about you. There's a, there's a way that you carry your grief um, that is actually empowering. Um, and it's, not everybody can do that, by the way. Some people carry their grief like a, like a weight and a burden. I think your grief is heavy but somehow you found a way to wear it so that other people can have access to your grief, your pain, and also to who you are. Um, but tell me this, because let, let, let's, let, let's go a little deeper. Let's go a little deeper. Tell me what this grief is doing to you. What is it doing to your life? What has it stopped you from doing? <sighs> Um, oh gosh. Mm, that's it. That's it. No, that's where the freedom is. Let it come up. Let it come up. Oh, wow. Um, what does it stop me from doing? Yeah. In those... Uh, probably more so of being who I wanted to be or thought I was gonna be at this point in my life because as a result of this the grief my life has taken on uh, a different life of its own if you will mm -hmm. so being me, I, I don't, you know, just being me and where I thought I would be and where I probably wanted to be. And I, I, I'm not, I'm, my life has taken on a different life of this own. And how does that make you feel that you're not what you thought you would be at this stage? A part of me, sometimes I go through the, the grief phases. I get angry mm -hmm. uh, at times and, um, I get tired sometimes, but not defeated. I am, um, it's not all, it's, it's, it's not all bad. It's just learning something new, that security. I've always been the type of person to be in control um, and have to feel secure, secure with everything. And that, I don't have that same feeling like I once was, being in control of everything because grief, that's a different thing you try to control that sometimes you can't when you're in this when you're dealing with grief so yeah the control aspect of it you, you started going down this path and i want to invite you to go down the path um some more what would your son say to you about what he can see from the other side that the grief is doing to you what would he say to you about what it's stopping you from doing or becoming? He, pro he probably would say, he would, I'm proud of you. 
no matter what you decide, I still love you. No, you know, no matter what avenue or what road or path you choose to go on, I, I still love you. I'm still, I, I still love you. I love you, no matter what. Mm. So I think that's what he would say to me. Mm. Yeah. So here's the part of the conversation where I push you a little bit, okay? Okay. Because there's some more things he would say. He would absolutely be proud of you and absolutely proud of the fact that you've continued to live and that you didn't give up. But he, he would also say to you, I want you to have life more abundantly. I want you to fulfill your dreams because your dreams are now my dreams. You follow me? The roles have reversed where once you lived your life through watching him, now he gets to experience life through watching you and what you achieve and what you accomplish. And he would say to you, mama, I know you love me and I know you're sad, but we got some more to do. We got some more building to do, huh? We got some greatness to get to. And he would say, mama, just being sad, that's not enough. You've honored me with your sadness. You've honored me with your tears. Now honor me with your greatness. Give me that. And if he said that to you, what would you say? I'm doing it every day. Mm. I will be your voice until Mm. I leave the face of this earth. Mm. And that's literally true because you wrote a book, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. I want to get this in before I go. Um, Talk to me about this book that you wrote. Um, I wrote a book. It's called A Mother's Loss, A Journey Through Grief and Healing. Mm. And I wanted to, um, I journal and I wanted to help other mothers that may have been suffering and dealing with grief and silence. Some of the things that you're embarrassed to talk about, you don't talk about, you don't know if it's okay. You don't know if you're going crazy or Mm. if you're feeling some type of way, it's okay. So I didn't want any other mothers to go through that alone you know so i i wanted to write that book in in, in honor of my son yeah. uh his life wasn't in vain and to help other mothers that absolutely. are grieving absolutely say the name of the book again a mother's loss a journey through grief and healing okay yeah yeah you know um i'm glad you wrote it and i'm glad that you are in the same way you did when you were 14 challenging the channeling rather the pain into something productive and powerful that will not only bless you but bless other people um i want to i want to leave you with this what's your best advice uh, for parents who have lost a child either the way you lost yours or by some other means or fashion um my advice would be The pain doesn't go away. It does dull over time. Mm. Trust the process and just know that you're not alone on this journey. There are, I stand as, like my Angelo said, I stand as one, I come as one, but we, it's 10,000. I stand as 10,000. So you're not alone on this journey. Just trust the process. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, I'm so glad you stopped by. And I know tonight that you have helped so many people and allowed so many of us to sort of sit in proximity to your pain. And you, you did an amazing job tonight telling your story and really sharing your son. Because what you're doing now is you're sharing your son with the world. And um, it's such an important and powerful thing. I wish you greatness. I wish you love. I wish you the power that and the peace that passeth all understandings. I wish that you will walk in high places. I wish and pray that your enemies have to take your name out of their your mouth, their mouths rather. I pray that doors open for you that no man can close. And I pray that even the people who don't like you are gonna have to bless you. I pray that people who don't know you are gonna have to speak your son's name 
and make mention of how honorable both of you are. That's my prayer for you. Thank you. I receive it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Sorry. My pleasure. My pleasure. Deborah Bonds, people. Yeah. Beautiful smile, right? Look at that. <laughs> we'll be back with an aha moment that I got from this conversation. We're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean, and I'm going to show you some things that don't make sense. We'll be right back. And now for an aha moment. Play the bumper, Holly. So, very powerful conversation, right? I mean... Can you imagine having to bury your child, losing your son to gun violence? You know, a young man being struck down in the prime of life. You see, one of the things I noticed from this conversation was how much two sides of her were conflicting with each other. On the one hand, she was authentic and vulnerable and present. But on the other hand, you could tell she's just holding it together as she tells this story. And the aha moment is, a lot of us have to do that. We have to find a way to sort of let the emotion out, but also because of the world that we live in, not be decimated or destroyed by how we feel to the degree that we can't get back up and keep on living. It's a delicate dance to be emotionally available but also find a way to maintain some modicum of composure. But let me liberate you from the bondage of this conflict that all of us feel by simply saying to you, when you feel it, you feel it. And when you feel it, give it voice, give it opportunity to come up and come out. Because the more you get it out, the sooner you will be free from having to be in bondage to it at all. Let's do some Ask Dr. Sean Hiley. You know what to do. All right. You guys always send me amazing videos, and today is no different. Let's take a look at this one. Hey, Dr. Sean. My name is Tramel, and I need some advice. I have a friend. He's dating this girl, and she's a stripper. So she says she's using the money to pay her way through school. However, he wants her to quit, or he's going to break up with her. I think he's overreacting, but what do you think? I need some advice. Well, okay. First of all, from the way you crafted and constructed that question, I'm assuming she was a stripper when he met her. And it's kind of unfair to go into a situation where someone is something when you met them and it was okay when you got together, but now all of a sudden you have a problem with it. It's not like she has changed. It's one thing for, for somebody to change, but... She's been consistent in who and what she is and was since the day he met her. It's the young man, assuming it's a man, that seems to be changing, wants to renegotiate the terms. And he has a right to do that. But what he doesn't have a right to do is give people ultimatums. Now, he has the right to do it, but let me simply say he won't get what he wants, and ultimatums are rarely successful. And you don't want somebody to do something because you gave them an ultimatum. That's a recipe for them to go right back to doing what they were doing and the thing you wanted them to stop doing as soon as they get mad. You want people to change because that's what they want to do. Not because you backed them into a corner and said, I'm going to leave you if you don't conform to what I want. That's not the way to do it. What you want to do is say to someone, I know this is how we started, and I know this is what you were doing when we started, but when we started, I didn't love you like this. My heart wasn't as connected to you as it is right now. And let me explain to you how I feel about you, and let me explain to you what I'm afraid of. Now, if it's Rooted in those two things, and that's a legitimate conversation. But if it's rooted in the fact that she's a stripper makes you, it's making you look bad, well, then you need to find somebody or you, your friend needs to find someone else to date because that's about ego, not about love, not about genuine commitment. 
And no matter if she's a stripper or not, she still deserves that. And, um, you know, yeah. Anyway, someone emailed me this question. My cousin told me that, told me and my parents that he wanted to open a restaurant and he asked us to loan him the money. I just found out that he used the money instead to open a strip club. My parents and I would never invest in that type of business. How do I ask them to return our money? We got a strip club theme going on today. <laughs> we got people stripping and people opening up strip clubs. <laughs> well, listen, this isn't complicated. Now, someone in the booth said, I don't remember which one said it, that I should ask you, does your cousin serve food at the strip club? <laughs> because technically, if there's food being served, you could say it's a restaurant. But seriously, it's not that complicated. When someone has done something under false pretenses and you have invested something precious to you into what they lied about, you have every right to find the courage to ask them, ask them rather, for what you want. And what you want is your money back. So ask for it. You got to make a decision. Are you more concerned about peace and tranquility and, you know, domestic, uh, you know, um, you know, getting along? Or are you concerned about getting your money back? Because you may not be able to have both. You may have to say something hard and difficult, but in the end, get your money back. How about you do this? How about you say exactly what happened? You told me this. I found out that subsequently we're going to need our money back because we don't support what you're doing. We support you, but we don't want to be investors in a strip club. And we have that right. You should have told us from the beginning what it was. And since you didn't, we'd like our money back. Who knows if you'll get it back? Depends on the character of the person you happen to be dealing with. But I wish you well. I got some more Ask Dr. Sean right after this. Don't you go nowhere. I'll be right back. One of these days, we're going to have a whole show just around what happens during the break. Because <laughs> you want to hear some of this stuff. Anyway, got another video. Let's take a look at it. Hey, Dr. Sean, this is Ricky Diaz from Los Angeles, California, and I need your advice. I recently started dating someone who doesn't drive, but that doesn't bother me. However, I recently found out they received two DUIs nine months apart. Is that a red flag? Yes. <laughs> I couldn't get it out fast enough. Yes, that's a red flag. Two DUIs, rather. Uh, in less than nine months? No, no, there's a problem there. There's a problem, yes. Yeah, and, and what you feel, I'm glad, I'm glad we have them in this moment, because what you feel is your intuition. It's that little voice telling you something ain't right. And I'm glad you sent me this question because I just want to affirm that inner voice. Because your intuition, your inner voice is, is strong, it's picking up. And, and, and I, although you don't need a strong one to know that TD, two, what's wrong with my mouth? Two DUIs in less than nine months, red flag. Red flag. I mean, maybe once, but two in not with nine months? No, somebody likes to drink too much. And somebody hasn't figured out that when you drink, you probably shouldn't drive, right? You probably shouldn't drive. No driving when, you, when you're drunk, people. So listen, I would really slow down on this relationship. It's up to you to decide how much you want to continue to be involved. And I'm always hopeful that people can improve and get better and learn from their mistakes. But slow down and don't act like you don't see something that you're actually looking at, okay? 
And I would have a conversation with them. What's up with that? How do you get two of these in less than nine months? What's the story? Right? And if they sort of play it off or pass it off or, you know, ah, you know then you know you're dealing with someone who is, um, they're not ready. But if they, you ask them the question and they say, look, um, man, terrible moment in my life, and they really give you a narrative to help you understand what they were going through, who they were, with some connotation about what they're hoping to be and how they're different, then you still slow down, but you might give them an op- a hearing. See, it's going it's to tell you a lot about their character beyond the, the, the DUIs by how they respond to someone asking them questions about the parts of their past that they're not necessarily happy about and might be ashamed of. Because someone who is healed and delivered can talk about it from a perspective that allows them both to tell the story, learn from the story that they're telling, and allow other people to understand. Someone who is not healed and delivered will be defensive, will obfuscate, will push back on why you even want to know. And if you get any of that, it's an even bigger red flag than the one you asked me about. All right. Someone DM me this question. My daughter's father recently converted to Islam and wants her to convert as well. He says he will file for full custody if I don't allow this to happen. How can I find a good compromise? Ooh, that's a tough one. Oh, all right, let me, let, me, let me deal with it. So, when people turn to religion, they often become zealots, so much so that they want everybody in their immediate circle to sort of reflect the religious values, values rather, that they've taken on. I don't know how old the child is, but if there is a compromise, then the only compromise I can see is for you to say to him, I need it to be her decision and not yours. I need her to be the one to decide that that's what she wants to do. And if that's what she wants to do, I completely support it. But we are not going to make this decision for her because I don't necessarily agree with the decision. But if she chooses it, then I'm willing to live with it and, and make it well. Now, he may decide that that compromise is not enough because he wants what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it, and that's all he can consider and think about, in which case you're probably on your way to court unless you acquiesce and allow her to convert. And again, I don't know how old she is, but I'm hoping she's old enough to convert. (laughs) You know, I, I just... I, I, parenting is not easy. Believe me, I know. It's a hard job, and we don't always get it right. In fact, personally, I got it more wrong than I got right. But I at least try to allow my sons to make their own mistakes, make their own decisions, think their own thoughts, have their own religious makeup. And I was a minister. I didn't make them go to church, and I didn't make them embrace what I believed. I introduced them to what I believe and taught them what I believe, and I also introduced them to other religions. So they could never say that they lived in the house with somebody who didn't want them to know different ways of viewing God, life, and the world. And they've made their own decisions. All of those decisions I don't always agree with, but the important ones I tend to agree with. My point is this, parents, Could we stop making the job harder than it already is by putting our stuff on our children and believing that what we want and how we want it is the way it has to be? Why can't we just love our kids? Why can't we just embrace their humanity? And sure, we want them to be a part of our value system, but to do it in a way that destroys the family that would make the child strong sounds counterintuitive to me. I don't know. You might be going to court. Because this guy doesn't seem like he's willing to compromise. 
But I would say to him in no uncertain terms, she has to decide. And whatever decision she makes is fine with me. Unless it's not fine with you. And you don't want her to be a Muslim. In which case, you better say that. And then you're definitely going to court. But if God be for you, then who can be against you? <laughs> Let's take a break. We come back. We're going to do some here's what doesn't make sense. All right. We have a new favorite segment around here, and it's called Here's What Doesn't Make Sense. Pay the bubba, Holly. <laughs> I like the music on that. Like, who came up with that? Anyway, so we have a video that I'm about to show you of a TikTok influencer who is facing charges for hitting a golf ball into the Grand Canyon. Take a look at this video. Hmm. Everything for TikTok. <laughs> She's just, she's just trying to go viral, you know? So Katie Sigmund is the so-called TikTok influencer. That's her right there. And she's now facing charges for hitting the golf ball out into the middle of the Grand Canyon. And we just saw it on video, so Katie can't deny it. She's facing charges because apparently she had no regard and no consideration for who and what that golf ball might hit when it got to the bottom of the middle of the Grand Canyon. Human beings, wildlife. Persons could have been walking down there and here comes a golf ball that Katie hit out into the middle. Could have had a deer or a wombat. Are there wombats in the Grand Canyon? I don't know, buffalo. I don't know what's out there, but it could have got hit in the head because Katie wanted to go viral. You see, um, in fact, this stunt was so ridiculous that the National Park Service put, posted a message saying, quote, this, this, they literally posted this, quote, do we really need to warn people not to, have go, not to hit golf balls into the Grand Canyon, unquote. <laughs> you know it's bad when the National Park Service has to throw shade and say, do we really need to tell y'all that this is not a good idea? Not to mention the fact that throwing items over into the Grand Canyon, whether you hit them or throw them, is prohibited. And um, they might severely injure someone, let alone take somebody's life. Because you do know that a golf ball dropping out the sky from 400 feet in the air, I don't know how, I just came up with that number, that could kill somebody, put somebody's eye out. But Katie, she didn't give a damn about none of that. It's all about TikTok. Now, Miss Sigmund faces up to six months in jail and a hundred dollars, thousand dollars, thousand dollars. My mouth is not working. And fines. But here's the part that doesn't make sense, and I gotta hurry. This woman couldn't figure out on her own that you shouldn't hit golf balls into the middle of the ground. I mean, somebody had to tell her this. She couldn't come up with enough wherewithal and consideration for other people's lives and well-being. To, to think and to know that this was not a good idea. Somebody literally went with her and supported her in the stupidity. See, I don't just blame Katie, although she deserves a lot of blame. I blame the other person in that video for not stopping Katie. <laughs> you gotta have better friends in your life than that. So anyway, does TikTok really mean that much to y'all that y'all will do anything? to be popular on it. Some of y'all are so thirsty for attention that you will settle for the cheapest form of fame you can possibly get. And that is being ridiculous in public. From licking toilets to hitting balls into the Grand Canyon. Thank you, TikTok. <laughs> How about y'all put your phones down and go have a date? Anyway, real quick, let's do this one. Kathy Griffin has been suspended from Twitter for impersonating the owner, Elon Musk. The comedian's Twitter account was suspended the same day she changed her page's title to Elon Musk and mocked the new CEO and owner of the company. 
apparently Elon Musk went on to say that Kathy Griffin's account was suspended for impersonating someone else and not for the content. But if you believe that, I got a bridge in Brooklyn that I can't wait to sell you. Because if you think Elon Musk just suspended the account because she was impersonating somebody and he wasn't mad at the fact that she was mocking him, then you the fool. <laughs> Silly rabbit. Elon Musk believes in free speech so as long as it ain't about him. And you know Elon Musk is going to charge people to have the blue check, which I'm not paying for. Because I'm not giving Twitter via Elon Musk or Elon Musk via Twitter a dime of my money. Now, I might buy a Tesla, but I'm not paying for no check. Twitter's a cesspool. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Anyway, shout out to the Democrats for having a good night last night, all right? And shout out to my guest tonight, Deborah, for being a part of this amazing conversation. I want you to live. I want you to have joy. I want you to love the people in your life while you have them, because you may not have them always. And if this should be our last night, if tonight was the last night that you could see your husband, wife, son, daughter, cousin, whomever, what would you say to them? What would you want the last word out of your mouth to be into their life and into their spirit if tomorrow be no more? Whatever that is, that's what you need to say as soon as this show is over. Give it to people now because tomorrow is up in the air. I wish all of you a wonderful rest of the evening and I do pray that you will have an amazing rest of your week. Be amazing, beloved, and be good to each other because love abides. I love you. I will see you soon. You know, how about we do this again, Juan? Let's do it again. Not right now, though. I'll be back. Later. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.